the last time you attended a slumber party with your girlfriends and discussed issues on your heart? Your host is Gina Glenn, who welcomes you to tonight's Mommy Jammies Night. This is a time for you and our special guests and friends from around the world to join in live. Put on a comfortable pair of jammies, pull up a chair, settle in with your favorite refreshment, and prepare to be blessed as Gina welcomes tonight's guest. And now, here's Gina Glenn. Hi, this is Gina Glenn. Welcome to Mommy Jammies Night. The Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network and Mommy Jammy Nights wants to specifically thank our sponsor tonight, Sony Pictures, featuring the movie Smurfs, The Lost Village. Visit smurfsmovie.com and be sure to check out the Christian study guide for this movie on our show notes page at mommyjammynights.com with the podcast featuring Kendra Fletcher, tonight's guest, and at affirmfilms.com. Now, the Blue Crew is back. Let's go have some fun. In their first fully animated adventure. Nailed it. To escape a dangerous, undiscovered world, the Smurfs will have to team up with a whole new tribe. A village full of girls. Hey, some freaking Smurfs, The Lost Village, rated PG, exclusively from Affirm Films. Get a free Bible-based discussion guide. Visit AffirmFilms.com to download it for free and enjoy great discussions with your whole family about the importance of purpose, friendship, honesty, and loyalty as seen in Smurfs, The Lost Village, now playing. So once again, thanks to our sponsor for allowing us to bring you this show for free. You can download the podcast or listen, listen to any of them on Apple or Android device or on your computer. And if you leave us a great rating on iTunes, we'd appreciate that. And so for tonight, our special guest is Kendra Fletcher. Hello, Kendra. How are you? Hi, Gina. I'm doing well. Thank you. Great, great. Um, I think I'll let you tell a little bit about yourself because when I was reading your about page, it just flows like a conversation. So I didn't want to just read it. I thought (laughs) I'd just let you kind of share about yourself and your story. I've I've not read your book yet, but I've been excited to hear about it. So I'm looking forward to hearing your story tonight. And I appreciate yeah, you coming you bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very, very excited to be here. Um, I love these mommy jammy nights. I think, uh, although I have to be honest, I, I'm actually from California. And so it's 6 o'clock here. I'm not in my jammies. <laughs> so I'm hoping that hoping that lots of other people are and just getting to kind of kick back and relax Um after long homeschooling days. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, that's it. We live in California. We have uh, eight children. Our oldest is 24, and our youngest is a uh, little eight-year-old brain-damaged boy who I'll, I'll share his story. Um, and so he's about four years old uh, developmentally, um, which is, is always interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, we've been homeschooling for 20 years. So I, I, it's just a crazy journey. I never, ever thought I would still be doing 20 years later, um, but it's good. We have, we have good days and crazy days, and today actually was a good day in our homeschool. Wonderful. That's great. Um, yeah. They can read more about you at KendraFletcher.com for sure. I was noticing that um, – I was looking at this great picture of you, and I was noticing everyone is so tall. All your children are so tall. <laughs> Which is crazy because my husband and I are very short people, so I'm not really sure how that happens, but yes. <laughs> Just one of those things. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, again, welcome to tonight, and um, I'm going to just sit back and listen to your story. I'm excited to hear it. So I will talk to you again in just a little bit. Sounds great. Thanks, Gina. Right. Uh-huh. Well, our story actually begins, you know, like everybody's in this homeschooling world that we're in, um, just choosing to do this thing that I never thought I would do. Um, and we were chugging along homeschooling our kids. And, um, in, in the, the whole course of that, somehow, um, in our brokenness and our sin, our pride and our, um, fear got the best of us. Um, I would say that we were making choices at that, those times of our life, uh, in homeschooling that, that we just really, was grasping onto these uh, methods and ideas that we were going to have these stellar Christian children that we would launch from our home um, because of the choices we had made. Um, And so there was a lot of pride mixed in with that. Um, I would say we're so thankful that we've chosen homeschooling for sure. Um, It's been one of the best choices we've made uh, in terms of family life for us for a lot of different reasons. Um, but unfortunately, for us, it became 
a, a real idol in a lot of ways. And I'll, I'll talk about that as we go along tonight, because I know that seems crazy when we think about idolatry. We think of money and um, sex and, you know, all these other things that kind of take hold of our heart. But for us, it was really our parenting choices, our homeschooling choices um, that we held up as, as really a, a replacement for hope in our lives um, or a replacement for for God um, and what we knew he could do in our, in our hearts and in our, the, the lives of our kids. So all of that came to a, a head or, or was really put right in front of our faces um, on a, a warm June morning when I uh, ran upstairs thinking our seven-week-old baby had slept just a little bit too late and um, ran up to our bedroom, opened my closet door because he's, he was the eighth child and he was sleeping in a little Moses basket in my, my walk-in closet, and uh, I found him in a coma. He was um, completely unresponsive. His eyes were rolled back in his head. His lips were blue. His skin was clammy. And uh, it was just one of those moments where there's nothing that prepares you for that. Um, And so I just threw up my hands and my my daughter had walked into the closet kind of behind me. And I don't, you know, I think that was just God's grace in the moment. She was eight years old at the time. And um, she's my daughter that is, she's 17 now. And I always say she was, she was born 40 years old because she's just this old soul. And I think, you know, it was just God's grace to have this very reliable young girl with me. And I turned to her and I said, what should we do (laughs) in this moment? I wasn't thinking. And I I looked at my eight-year-old daughter and for any kind of guidance. And she said, mommy, call 911. Um, And so I did. I called 911. And uh, those paramedics were in our home within a few minutes. Um, They knew right away. I could just see in their countenance that something was very wrong with this baby. So we got into an ambulance and I sat up front with the driver and we were kind of just, you know, pulling out of the driveway and down our country road. And all of a sudden from the back, uh, one of the EMPs says, we have got to get this baby to the hospital. His blood sugar's um, 13. And the sirens went on and the lights went on and we just took off down that road. Um, And I, I didn't know what 13 meant. So I, you know, I asked the driver, what, what is, what is normal? And he said 60. Um, and so we had a baby that was in just quite a lot of distress and they could see that. Um, so in addition to his blood sugar plummeting, his protein levels went, were through the roof and we got to that ER um, and it was not very long before I heard a charge nurse yelling, we have to get that baby out of here. We're going to lose him. Um, but nobody could figure out what was wrong with him. Um, nothing seemed to add up. And they kept asking us questions um, about feeding and, you know, had we seen any signs? And that was kind of the crazy thing. The night before, I had um, fed him a bottle. I was having some nursing issues, and so I had given him a bottle. And and so because of that, and again, another one of God's graceful or gracious little moments, um, I knew exactly how much he had, had taken in that evening. Um, and he, it was, I can't even remember now, but, you know, it was a good amount for a seven-week-old baby. Um, and he showed no, no signs of sickness that night. Um, so it was just one gigantic question mark. And they did uh, throw him into the back of an acute care ambulance. They wanted to fly him down to the children's hospital about 90 miles from our home. Um, but there were big fires on the coast of California that summer, and the visibility was, was really poor. So into this acute care ambulance, he, he goes, they shut the doors, they say, I'm sorry, you can't go with us. Um, and so my husband and I literally jumped into our car with, with what was on our backs. Um, that was it. We didn't, we didn't want to, to swing by home and grab anything or prepare ourselves. We just knew we needed to get down to that children's hospital with this little boy. So we get there, and um, they said, I, I, you know, you can't come in. We'll, we'll call you. Um, and so they called us back at about midnight, and the hospitalist said, we have no idea what's wrong with your son, but we know he already has sustained some brain damage. There's some heart damage. Uh, He's a liver failure and um, kidney failure. Sleep with your cell phones. He's not going to make it through the night. And so we did, and uh, sure enough, I just have this funny, distinct memory of running into Old Navy while we were in that city um, and and buying something off the clearance racks to wear to bed. I mean, we literally had nothing with us. Uh, um, although the, it happened again in God's grace um, in my parents' uh, hometown uh, is where the children's hospital is. And so we were able to stay in their home. But 
we woke up that next morning. Um, we had not heard our cell phones ring, um, and there were messages asking about this test and that test, and if we don't hear from you, we'll just go ahead and administer them. And so we ran uh, to that hospital that morning, and um, they said, we know what's wrong with your son. He has enterovirus 71, and to that, to us, that meant nothing. <laughs> so, you know, you pull out that, that uh, laptop. I don't think we were smartphone users at the time, even um, that, you know, back in 2008. And so um, we opened up our laptops. We were doing all the research, and essentially an enterovirus is just an umbrella term for a family of viruses, and um, in, in that family are some recognizable uh, viruses like polio. Um, but for our son, it was a virus that was attacking him systemically um, and had been actually um, causing deaths in Taiwan that summer. So no idea to this day how our baby uh, got this virus um, that was that had an outbreak in Taiwan. Um, we hadn't been overseas. We didn't know anybody who had been. It's an oral fecal virus, uh, potentially from a shopping cart or something like that. No idea. Um, but this was God's plan in his providence. And um, even at the time, we, we knew we could see it as that. Um, and so we took that baby home about um, two weeks later, and they said, we don't know, deaf, blind, uh, we know he has six holes in his brain, or there's some cavities in there, and sure enough, the MRI later showed that that's indeed what he had. He has six holes in his brain, uh, two bilaterally in the frontal lobe, um, which really affects him to this day. Uh, he's impulsive and um, can't organize information very well, um, which if you're familiar, that's executive function. His executive function abilities are terrible, um, and he will probably never live independently because of that. Um, but he is not blind. He has all kinds of uh, terrible visual processing issues uh, that he sees. Um, he has even learned to read uh, at a very rudimentary level, um, and he can run and jump and play and do all kinds of things that they told us he probably would never be able to do. So so many good, amazing things there that God has done in his life. Um, but he is, he is our mighty Joe, and um, he is a lot of work <laughs> in our home. And the, the crazy thing is, you know, I, if you have sustained any kind of a hospital stay with a child or um, yourself or a, a spouse or a parent, uh, you know that it takes a lot of time to recalibrate. You get home, and uh, there's just – there's just so much adjusting to do. And I had seven other children at the, you know, at home. Um, so our oldest at that time was 15 or 16 years old. And um, we were in full homeschool mode. I had high schoolers and junior hires and everybody in between there that I had to fully homeschool. So we were getting you know, our feet back underneath us and just trying to sort of, you know, take a breath and, and, and get used to life. And really mighty Joe at that point was just like another baby. Um, we didn't see, a whole lot of difference between him and a baby at, the, at that time in terms of care. So I just kind of went on, and we tried to settle. And that December, uh, right after Christmas, one day some girlfriends and I said, hey, let's take the kids bowling. And so we, you know, threw all our kids in our cars, and we went off to bowl, and we came home. Um, I came home with my kids in our big 12-passenger van, and I pulled into our driveway, which was uh, a country. We lived on some property at the time, um, a big circular driveway. And normally I would pull in around that circle um, and just park right on one side of it. Uh, there's a, a fountain in the middle and a curb all the way around it. Um, but I just decided I was going to pull forward this time and, and let my husband just pull right in behind me. Um, but our five-year-old assumed I was going to park uh, in the exact same spot. So she um, had that door open and was sitting on the side of the van um, when I was pulling into the circle and, and jumped out, unbeknownst to me, obviously. Um, and before I knew it, my kids were all screaming, Mom, Mom, you're running over Ansley. Um, it, it was one of those moments that, again, there's just no way to prepare for that. Um, and I, in that moment, remember just thinking, Lord, prepare me for what I'm going to see. I thought I was running over the curb in the middle of the, the circle, um, but I was, in fact, running over our five-year-old. Um, so I threw open my door, and I went to the you know, back of that van, came around the side, and my little five-year-old was sitting up crying. 
And I said, honey, can, can you stand? Can you walk? And I was looking for protrusions and blood and anything else, you know, fully expecting to see a child who was um, either on the verge of death or had died. And um, she just said, mommy, it hurts, it hurts. So I picked her up and I ran up the stairs into our home and I'm completely flustered. I have no idea. You know, I'm just trying to get my, my wits about me. And so i I turned on the bathtub and I put her in the bathtub just thinking, I've, I've got to calm down. She's got to calm down, but not seeing anything that was immediately, um, you know, an emergency, got to call 911 at all costs here. Um, and so I was just trying to calm us down and I called my husband and he, he ran me through all kinds of medical questions um, because he's in the medical field. And, um, and, and eventually what we decided to do was to run her to the office of a friend of ours who's a chiropractor, which I know sounds crazy, uh, but his office is actually closer to our home than the nearest ER, um, and we knew that he would immediately be able to assess um, what she felt was, you know, some pain in her um, in her pelvis or, you know, right in that area. And uh, so because there was nothing going on, she wasn't in shock, she wasn't throwing up, she wasn't, you know, there's no blood, there was no nothing sticking out, no major bruising or anything. Um, I ran her over there and he immediately saw her and said, um, you know what? I feel like there is something going on in her, her pelvis, like maybe a fracture or something. Take her to this ER. Don't take her to that ER. Um, and that there's a, <laughs> the closest ER had a bit of a reputation um, for, and still does for not being the best place. So I ran her to the, the, the ER farthest away, um, which was the ER we had taken Mighty Joe to and so felt comfortable doing that. Um, so I took her there and I walked her in and uh, told, you know, said, here's what happened. Well, somebody there felt that our decision to delay uh, calling 911 or taking her to the ER uh, was a red flag. And so they called CPS. And um, she was absolutely again completely fine they were assessing her and you know running some tests and whatever and found nothing wrong um but that was still not okay with them um so soon soon enough the sheriff shows up and a social worker shows up and starts to question us um and uh, my worst nightmare i ran over my child has now become my second worst nightmare i'm i'm dealing with a Child Protective Services investigation, um, and I'm I'm slowly beginning to realize I'm a slow processor, <laughs> and I'm I'm beginning to realize that they think I did this on purpose. Um, I am now this monster mother in their eyes, um, and all of all of my fears um, had come to full fruition. Um, all of the things that had fed my fears and had caused us to make some of the parenting choices we had made and some of the um, just some family choices we had made based on our own fears uh, had, had just fully come to play. Um, and, and I wish I could tell you that in that moment, I, I had all of my trust and hope in Jesus, um, but I didn't. My hope was in the social worker, seeing that we were not um, horrible parents. My hope was in the doctors finding absolutely nothing wrong with her. My hope was in maybe some nurse saying, hey, you, you've got the wrong situation here. Um, and in fact, that is what our family practitioner told them when, when they called him. He said, you've got the wrong family, but my hope was in that and my hope was in everything but God in that moment. And, um, in, in the process of what we went through, um, I had to go down to the children's hospital again with her, um, just because our hospital wanted them to check her out. And they found she had a fractured pelvis, just as our chiropractor friend had found, um, and there was nothing they could do for her. There, there was nothing internally wrong. Um, and so they just basically said she needs to be off her feet for six weeks. And so she was in a little wheelchair and was off her feet for six weeks. And that was, that was it. Um, later, an uh, orthopedist said, you know, she was so little and her bones so flexible that that's really what, you know, what was the, the blessing in all of this, being five years old and being run over. Because if she had been, you know, an adult, those bones would have fractured and, and probably punctured a, um, they would have broken and punctured a, a vital organ or something like that. So, you know, God knew this and he had, he had his hand on all of this. Um, but I had my, my sights on myself and I was wanting to 
defend myself and my stellar mothering skills, <laughs> whatever else I was putting my hope in, because it certainly at the time wasn't God, although we identified very much as, as very serious, very committed believers. Um, but our hope at the time was so uh, out of balance um, in, in our own choices and in our theology and in our church and in our um, just all of our choices. So born again out of fear and our own pride. Um, and so God began to do a work in our family and in the, the heart of my husband and myself. Um, increasingly, we began to see that this whole thing and the way we were living our lives or, or just our lives as believers, um, it is all about Jesus. Um, and so we we started to make some changes in our own lives. We We began to put some things down and say, you know, God, um, this is really an idol in our lives, or we have not been trusting you here, or our hope is in our choices. Um, and, and as things began to fall apart even more uh, in our personal lives, we realized that we had been putting our hope, our trust, our faith in entirely the wrong things for too long, um, and God was going to undo that for us uh, in his way. And life resumed. Um, I had a uh, just a crazy fear of CPS. Um, I would see them, even though they weren't there. I would sort of see them looking through our windows. Um, I would fear my boys doing anything crazy. So I would see them climbing these, you know, hundred foot trees or wherever, however high they were up in the in the sky on these redwoods on our property. And I would say, get down. I don't want to go to the ER again. You know, I mean, if something were to happen, I kept thinking, that's it. I'm going to get to the ER and they're going to say, oh, right, you're the one that was here before um, and that they would take my children away from me. Um, in fact, what happened was the uh, CPS or the social worker that came to our home and questioned my husband and children while I was at the hospital with our daughter said, you know, you guys, I knew this was a moot case from the beginning, um, but I'm just, you know, I'm doing what I have to do. This is going to go nowhere. I'm not even filing a report. Um, this is just so obviously an accident. So, well, I knew that within hours after everything went down, I knew that, but, but I was still so very fearful because my hope was, was misplaced. It was in the wrong things. Um, and so we're back to life again and um, getting our daughter to heal. And we've got this baby with a giant question mark over him, um, not really knowing what his future is going to look like and back to homeschooling and back to parenting and back to life. Um, and then about a year later, uh, all of us, uh, came down with some horrendous stomach bug. Bug. We were all sick, very, very sick. Um, throwing up, you know. Just this, if you know, if you have a big family, you know, like every towel in the house was <laughs> in use, and we were doing five loads of laundry a day, and I mean, it was just awful. It was just one of those awful, awful things. Um, but our eight-year-old daughter uh, at that time, she wasn't getting any better, uh, and so as we were all in the mend, our sweet Caroline was not. Uh, getting better, and we began to be concerned about her. And one Thursday evening, my husband came home from work, and he said, um, you know, I'm just uh, a little concerned about her. Maybe there's some dehydration. Let's start pushing some fluids. And if she's not better in the morning, I think I'll just take her in um, to acute care, you know, something like that, or uh, just take her into to the ER, you know, a doctor or something like that, and just, just to double-check on her. So we made a little comfy bed for her in our bathroom, um, and she, we watched her that night, uh, and then the next morning when we got up uh, and checked on her, she was in septic shock. Uh, her system was also shutting down. Um, she was unresponsive. Her skin was this really crazy webbing modeled um, look. I don't, I can't even really explain it unless you've seen somebody whose system is uh, septically in shock. Um, and so we immediately rushed her to the ER, uh, and, and in God's providence, a friend of ours who was the head of the ER at the time, uh, this is the same ER we took our other kids to, um, in his providence, uh, he, he met us there. We had called him on the way and said, hey, here's what's going on with Caroline, and he thought that he recognized what her symptoms were, uh, and he met us right there at that ER rolled her right past triage and yelled, this one's in trouble, and rolled her back to the ER. Um, and within that, you know, next few minutes, she was in emergency surgery. Um, and it was a ruptured appendix. Her, her appendix had ruptured probably 24 to 48 hours before 
we caught her um, because we had all been so sick. And so it masked itself as the flu of what everybody else had, um, but in fact was her appendix just going haywire uh, within her. It was a harrowing surgery. She, um, she was so septically ill and so infected that it took them 15 minutes to remove that appendix and 45 to clean her out. Um, that doctor, when he came out, what seemed like forever of a surgery, and I just kept thinking, we've lost her. We've lost our baby. Um, he came out and said, you know, guys, uh, the infection was just millimeters from her heart. I mean, we were, we were minutes from death. Um, having not caught that. So that was uh, just, uh, she she was alive, she was intubated, um, she was very seriously in recovery at that point. They admitted her to the ICU um, at that hospital. They decided not to move her to the children's hospital, um, but kept her there. She was the only child in that ICU, um, which had its own interesting challenges. But Probably, I'm going to say within a week, um, five to six days, uh, there was great concern that she wasn't getting better. Um, and so they decided they needed to go back in and figure out what was going on, and they, they did. They went back in. They placed a drain deep within her abdomen um, and hoping to get rid of more infection that, that had just not gone away, that they weren't able to control with medication um, or the first surgery. So. They did that, and um, I had this extremely grumpy daughter who was in a lot of pain uh, and and was not getting better. So we're now in two weeks, um, and I'm thinking, this is crazy. You know, I mean, I realize it was a, a ruptured appendix, but appendices, they, they should heal fairly quickly. Um, and she, this little girl was not healing at all. I mean, she wasn't eating solid foods. She wasn't responding to medication. Um, and so... They came to us one day and said, um, hey, this is the deal. She, uh, she has a pocket of infection that is so deep within her pelvis uh, that in order to reach it, we need to skirt her femoral artery. Uh, and there are only two surgeons in this hospital that are willing to take that risk. Um, she's so young, and it is such a risky surgery um, that neither wants to do it. Um, and so... We'll get back to you. We, we feel this needs to be done within the next 24 hours, but one of them has got to decide that they're going to do this surgery and take the risk. Um, so we'll let you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I don't have place any blame on those two men. I, <laughs> I wouldn't want to take that risk either. It's pretty crazy. I'm going to uh, take a little break here and take a sip of water. So, that next morning, um, they, they let us know. Um, one of these guys has decided he's going to take the risk for her. <clears throat> and uh, they went and performed that, that little surgery um, and did not perforate her artery. Uh, and it was, it, was, uh, it was a harrowing time uh, just waiting for that news. But um, they, placed, they were able to place that drain deep within her, um, and that was it. That was what helped her begin to, to finally heal. Uh, and we finally left that ICU 21 days later <laughs> from that initial ruptured appendix incident. Um, and those three weeks were long. They were trying. They were um, probably the hardest thing I had been through, uh, even more so than Mighty Joe or the CPS investigation because that daughter was so grumpy. <laughs> it was so hard. Um, to be her mom and be in that ICU situation with her. Uh, and dad and I would go back and forth. We would tag team with kids at home. Um, we slept on uncomfortable cots and didn't get much sleep. Uh, and then in the end there, the only thing keeping her from going home was, was her ability to keep food down. Uh, and so they were trying to get her to eat. She wouldn't eat. She wouldn't keep. I mean, it was just, it was like a, this black hole. And I remember having it out with God one day. Uh, I came home exhausted from a night at the hospital and cried the entire drive home um, and just said, I don't, I don't get this. Like, what is the point of this? God, what, you're not listening to our prayers, obviously. <laughs> and I did a lot of stomping of my feet. And um, God was so good in that time to patiently listen to me complain to him uh, about how this wasn't going my way. Uh, and, you know, 
I, I'm thankful knowing as I look back on that time uh, and other er- other times of my life when I've had, tried to have it out with God and he's just said, I'm looking at you, Kendra, but um, I'm seeing Jesus. Uh, and I'm so, so thankful that Christ is in my place in those moments. Um, so I think the question is when you come to the end of something like this and you realize that you've built a house upon the sand uh, and it's not a house upon the sand of worldliness. It's not a house upon the sand of unbelief. It's a, it's a sand of your own making. And we had really laid a foundation of our own works. Um, it was our own goodness, our own choices. We were, we were doing things, you know, God's way because we had been told that, that these parenting methods were going to just produce these children that would love Jesus and not have huge areas of sin in their lives and all of this stuff. And we had just taken it like pridefully that we could, we could, we could build this stellar godly family and these kids that wouldn't ever uh, run away from God. Um, And, and homeschooling honestly became part of that. It became part of our philosophy that we were going to um, have these kids that because we had discipled them and walked alongside of them and, and faithfully homeschooled them and not given them um, just the stuff that the, you know, government schools were going to be communicating and stuff that that was going to somehow produce these kids that wouldn't run from God. Um, if you have, if you're at the other end of parenting and homeschooling and you have a child who's walked, you know how foolish that thinking was. Um, and if you're at the beginning and you're thinking, this is really what's going to save my kids, I, I want to be the one to stand here and say, homeschooling is a beautiful, beautiful tool. And I've loved it. But it is not our hope. Jesus is our one and only hope. And we've got to remember to put our hope there and to build our foundation on him and him alone. So a couple of things to remember that I want to throw out there if you're dealing with some crises in your own life or if you're dealing with um, that that huge idol that says homeschooling is really going to be the thing for my kids. The first one is God has got this. And I want you to remember that because it's easy in the moment to think, you know, where are you, God? And to stamp your foot and be frustrated and say, this isn't going my way just as I did. Um, boy, I did that so beautifully in my own strength. Um, but remember that God has got this. He is for you. He loves you. And he is not sitting up there thinking, oh, when did this happen? What? I didn't see. Oh, no. Mighty Joe is sick. I didn't, I didn't know this. And, oh, no. Kendra ran over Ansley. And how did that happen? I, I didn't know this was going to happen. No, that's not the case. That's not our God. He allows these things to happen in our lives. Um, and, and I would tell you, too, because people will say this to me, it, it doesn't take this. You know, God doesn't do these things. That's not what he does. You know, he doesn't destroy us. No, he doesn't. But he certainly wants us to learn that Jesus is our only hope. And for us in, in the Fletcher family, this is what it took. This is what God used in our lives uh, in that 18-month period with those three kiddos to open our eyes and to, to learn reliance upon him. And I'll tell you, with our mighty Joe, this is a hard road. Um, he's not a kid who needs uh, extreme special needs, you know, medical care or that kind of a thing. But, boy, he tries us every single day. Um, he actually goes to school. And uh, I get calls from the principal, that was yesterday, <laughs> running intervention with him because he would not listen to his teachers or could not do this thing or follow those directions. Um, and and we, we work with a behaviorist who uh, we, we have had to, to make some major changes in our parenting and how we um, even do life with Joe. So that's an ongoing thing. Um, and I have to remind myself, God has got this. He's in control. There is still a question mark over Joe's future, but God has got this. He's in control. And with our Caroline, um, with the ruptured appendix, she has some permanent uh, things with that as well. Her fertility is probably um, affected uh, for the negative. She's not likely going to be able to conceive children on her own um, without great intervention um, or without the hand of God. And so, again, he's for us. He loves us. He's not puzzled by what happened um, in the lives of our kids. So in those moments 
we have to fill ourselves up with the truth. And I have to remind myself of this every single day. Every time I'm fearing, am I doing enough for my kids? Am I, am I steering them in the right direction? Have I prepared them enough? Um, are they, are these kids that are, that do love Jesus? Will they follow him? When I launched my current high school senior this year, uh, she graduates in five weeks and she's going off to college. Will she continue to love God as passionately as I see her loving him now? Um, I have to tell myself the truth. Romans 8, 28 through 31, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And Romans eight thirty five through 39, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The second thing um, I want to, to remind us all of, and I'm telling you, I, these are constant reminders. I am 40 six years old, um, and I need to remind myself of these truths every day. Homeschooling is a great tool, but it is not our hope. It is a, a fabulous choice, but it is not our hope. It is not our hope. It is not our hope. So on those days when you think, I'm, I'm blowing it. I, I, I read this devotional to these kids, and they don't listen to me, and they don't care. And, oh, my goodness, you guys, today, just today, uh, we had a quiz for our history um, curriculum, and we're in the Middle Ages right now, which began with um, just after the resurrection of Christ. And so one of the questions on their quiz was, who is Paul? And, and give me facts about Paul. And my kids missed, like, oh, he was Saul. He was on the road to Damascus. I mean, it was just, like, all of these things, they <laughs> major things they missed. And I could sit there and beat myself up about it and say, how do my 13- and 10-year-olds who took this quiz, how did they miss this? How, how did they not know who Paul of Tarsus is? How did they not know he was Saul and that he was, he was blinded on the road to Damascus and that he, he became the Paul, um, the Apostle Paul, who, who loved and preached Christ so faithfully? That's a major failure. I could say that if I thought that homeschooling them was my hope. But it's not my hope. Jesus is my hope. And so I can look at them and say, you knuckleheads, how did you miss this? And hey, let me remind you who Paul is um, and, and what he wrote about our Jesus. Psalm 52.9, I will thank you and confide in you forever because you have done it. You have done it, God. I will wait on, hope in, and expect in your name for it is good in the presence of your saints. Hebrews 10.23, so let us seize and hold fast and retain without wavering the hope we cherish and confess and our acknowledgement of it. For he who promised is reliable and sure and faithful to his word. The third thing I need to remind myself and I, I want to put out there to you is that homeschooling provides us with opportunities to walk alongside of our children in the realities of life. And so when when awful things hit us, when we find ourselves lost um, and, and so far from the cross, or when we, we find ourselves in, in struggles and trials and crises, we need to remember um, that, that what we learned this year, what, what our crisis might be teaching us, what our, um, what our distance from God or our closeness to God might be teaching us, could be the only thing God really wanted us to learn this year. And that is a beautiful thing. Um, academics can be accomplished, but maybe different than we imagined. You know, what's amazing to me about this whole journey in our lives is that somehow our oldest two children 
we're we're educated and and strengthened um, during this time period of our lives when it was just chaos. Um, so if you're if you're dealing with that kind of chaos in your life, I mean, marriage is struggling, uh, a job loss, you know, all of these life events that we all eventually deal with because, as we know, we're we're assured that we will go through troubles. Um, there will be trials. Um, that we can we can know that you know what God has this, and if we're called to homeschool our kids, we're called to parent them in this way. God God will be faithful to see it through for us. Um, it may not look like what we thought it was going to look like. Our spreadsheets and our plans at the beginning of the year may have to go to the wayside, and you know it may just look completely different. Um, but some flexibility in there is going to be really helpful too. The sixth thing, or maybe we're on the fifth, I can't remember, is to just surround yourself with cheerleaders. People who bring us condemnation or judgment or jealousy, um, they, they maybe just need to be the relationships you've got to pull back from. I have had to learn who in this season of my life is the person that's going to walk alongside of me. Um, you know, in those times of our life when God was really doing a work in our hearts and, and showing us our, the folly of our self-righteousness, showing us the folly of our own works and the things we thought we were bringing to the table, the things we thought we were uh, adding to what Jesus said he had already finished. Um, in that time of our life, there were people who, who spoke truth to me, who, who spoke scripture to me, who said, Kendra, your hope is in Jesus. Remember, that's where your hope is. Those were the cheerleaders I needed at that time. But I'll tell you, this last summer, just this last summer, um, last year, um, I was going through some really horrible, stressful um, situations uh, within our family, um, uh, extended family. And I started to have panic attacks, which I had never even seen. So when anybody had ever said to me, oh, I, I have panic attacks, I didn't even know what that really meant. I was like, oh, okay. And so then I'm in this highly, highly stressful year last year. Um, and suddenly I find myself having panic attacks um, and and was in this sort of spiritual spiral. I mean, I just felt myself going down, the, again, this black hole of anger towards God and all this stuff. And, and I'm thinking, this is so unlike me. What in the world is going on? Um, and it turns out there were some physical issues uh, with, with me. Um, I had some just some hormonal imbalances and some things that were caught uh, later on by a, a friend who's a psychi or psychologist and family practitioner and whatnot just said, hey, you, you know, you're depleted physically. So that was the issue there. But I didn't know that. And when I was going through all of this really dark time, I did not want to hear scripture. And I mean, I so honestly and raw looked in the face of a friend and said, stop giving me scripture. And that friend looked right back at me and said, all I can give you is what I know Jesus has already done in your life. And um, that was the cheerleader I needed in that moment. She she reminded me of what God had done in our in our lives um, during this period, during our story that I tell in Lost and Found and that I told you tonight. Um, but that was who I needed. And I knew at that time period that that is who God had brought for me uh, as a cheerleader. So who are those relationships that can walk alongside of you and cheer you on and point you to Jesus? The others? The, those who bring judgment or say, you know, maybe you ought to put your kids in school, even though you're steadfastly following what God has, caught, has, has, uh, has called you to do. Um, those people who say, well, you know, what good is your God? Look at how he's failing you. Or any of those voices, those are the ones that this isn't the time for right now. So limit your time there as you can and, and cling to the cheerleaders God has brought to you. And then lastly, I just want to remind us all, keep telling yourself, the truth. Keep telling yourself the truth. What's the truth? The truth is God loves you. He loves you so completely. And when we remember how much God has loved us, we live in that overflow that spills out into every area of our lives and allows us to love others as Christ has loved us. But we have to remember and believe how very much he loves us. We have to remember what Christ did for us on the cross. We have to remember that it, he did, he did stay there that day. And in, this is beautiful. Here we are, the Tuesday, right before Easter. And let's remember that, that on that Friday, 
he was on that cross, arms spread, and he looked out over the world and said, it is finished. And by that he meant, I have done it all. I have paid it all. It is for your sin that I have covered this, and I have done it. And there is nothing, nothing we could add to that. That is his great love for us, and that's the truth we have to remind ourselves. That's the gospel, and we live in that space. We live in that place that says, when God looks at me, he sees Jesus, regardless of the choices I make, because guess what? I make really crummy choices sometimes. (laughs) And so regardless of the sin in my heart, regardless of the moments when I'm stamping my foot with my hands on my hips and saying, gosh, God, you're not doing this the way I think it should be done, Regardless of that ugliness and that sin in my heart, because I am still human, um, what's beautiful in that moment is that God looks at me, he looks at you, and he sees it is finished. He sees Christ's glorious death and resurrection on that cross, and that's what it means to us as believers. It's finished, you guys. It's done. You are hidden in Christ, and that's what God sees when he looks at you. That's our story. That's what I've written in the book. Um, I, I, I barely mentioned it. Uh, this book came out in February this year. It's published by New Growth Press. Um, and it is our story of being lost in our own works and righteous, self-righteousness and being found again in Christ. Um, uh, the subtitle is Losing Religion and Finding Grace. Uh, and I would say the last uh, seven years almost of our lives um, living in the truth of the gospel, living in the freedom of Christ, uh, in the overflow of his love, has been absolutely worth every trial that he put us through. That's a, That was an amazing story. I was thinking um, when you said all the three incidents with your kids, which I can't imagine anything with my kids, mm-hmm. um, but that all happened in 18 months. Yeah, yeah, that, I know. That's mind-blowing. And so, um, you know, a lot of what you're talking about, you're looking back, you know, you um, you looked at your cheerleader friends and you had scripture you clung to, but I'm wondering, was there something in that 18 months where you feel like, God, I don't know, was there something that really you knew it was all okay? And like you said, God is for you and he loves you. Was there... Um, like some culmination, some moment where you realized that God was teaching you or do you feel like this was just a progression? Because it seems 18 months Mm. is no time at all. (laughs) Right, um, right. That seems overwhelming. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, there was a a situation um, when Joe was in the hospital. uh, So that was right at the beginning and probably within Mm -hmm. the first week almost that he was in the hospital. um, And there was a young woman who had been brought in and she, her, her room was right across the hall or right, you know, just a little hallway. Like we could see almost into her room. Um, and she was about 16 years old um, and she had really been brought in to die. Uh, she had cancer. Um, and so we watched this play out for about three days. Um, you know, there was a parade of people coming in uh, from, from her priest to um, some very charismatic ministers that came in. You know, we just watched everything going on. They brought Mm -hmm. her dog in. They brought, I mean, it was just, it was just crazy. And her family filled the ICU waiting room. So we were, we felt very much a part of what was going on because it was just so right there. And it was, uh, it was just nonstop for three days. Um, And I remember one night I was, I was singing over Joe before I was going to leave for the night. Um, And all of a sudden, I heard this woman wailing in the hallway. And I knew that that young lady had lost her life. Um, And I I looked out, and I saw that mama just wailing and wailing. And and I remember in the moment thinking, um, first of all, I have no idea. Here I am. God has preserved so far. You know, at that moment, at that point in time, God had preserved the life of my baby. Uh, And this, this woman had just lost her daughter. And I clearly remember the pressing of the Holy Spirit and him saying, do you see, Kendra? Do you see? It's all about me. You are so concerned 
with all of the the way you're doing things and how you know how things are playing out in your church and and how you're doing you know, everything was doing like you know from mm-hmm. from dress lengths to <laughs> curriculum to like all kinds of things that were just had taken over um in our home and um and he said this this mama you know what she needs she needs jesus she needs me and and you're so busy focusing on all of these things that aren't me and it's all about me you need to be busy giving people the hope of the gospel and that was that was a huge thing that I took home with me um, and that my husband and I began to see. And then we began to see our own lives. And it was just this working he was doing. Um, we began to see the things we were doing and the things we were saying and the choices we were making as, oh, my goodness, this just is so exclusionary of Jesus, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and we're putting our hope in this thing that we think is going to make all the difference in the lives of our children or, or ourselves or, you know, our pride says we must do this thing and people will think well of us. Um, and it wasn't about Jesus. So that was really the beginning of him speaking um, things to us very specifically. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's, uh, that's amazing. That gives me chills just to hear that because, mm. you know, your mom heart can hear that and your voice. So um, I just appreciate so much co- your coming on and finally getting to hear your story. I look forward to reading it in your in your book. So um, before we close off tonight, I do want to remind everyone that you can find Kendra at Kendra, K-E-N-D-R-A, Fletcher.com. And I think she can also find her podcasting at Homeschooling IRL, which for the longest time I thought was Homeschooling Girl. <laughs> <laughs> but it means in real life, if you if you didn't know that. I didn't know that. So, again, thanks so much, Kendra. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing how God continues to work out your story, and I hope you'll share with us more in the future. Thank you, Gina. I'm so happy you joined our session of Mommy Jammies Night. Please drop our guests a line and let them know how thankful you are that they gave their time. And follow up with Gina Glenn on Mommy Jammies Night Facebook page and the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network Facebook page. Or via email at gina at mediaangels.com. God's blessing upon you and your family. The conference is now completed. Goodbye.